Hello, and you are listening to EcoJustice Radio, a project of SoCal 350 Climate Action. Our show presents environmental and climate stories from a social justice frame, featuring voices not necessarily heard on mainstream media. Welcome, I am Jack Eit. On today's show, Preserving the Language and Legacy of the Lakota, host Carrie Kim will be interviewing Sage Fastdog, founder and director of Wakainsha Ki Tokaishi, a Lakota language immersion school. Sage Fastdog, the founder of Sichangu Ko's Lakota Immersion School, is a passionate educator dedicated to preserving the Lakota culture and language. Born and raised on the Sichangu Mwakoshe, Sage helped establish the school to address the urgent need for language preservation. Through his unwavering commitment, he has created a vital institution that immerses children in Lakota language and traditions ensuring their cultural legacy endures. Aloha, this is Carrie Kim. Listeners, today we are honored to have Sage Fast Dog, founder of Sichangu Co's first Lakota Immersion School, Wakineja Ki Tokashi, joining us to speak about preserving the language and lifeways of the Lakota. Our show comes to you from the ancestral homelands of the Tongva and all of their relatives. And we give thanks to the Tongva ancestors for their continuing presence, legacy, stewardship, and continued connection to this area since time immemorial. We invite listeners to actively align with and support the many Native nations of Turtle Island, wherever you live and beyond. Many of us who are settlers now living on Turtle Island or anywhere in the globe, on the globe where colonization has taken place, recognize that ours is a time of truth and reconciliation. Forced assimilation and boarding schools established by the Indian Civilization Act of 1819 deliberately suppressed the use of indigenous language and culture. We are haunted by histories where government policies, colonizers, missionaries, and the like aimed to eradicate indigenous peoples and their way of life. Rather than celebrate the sacredness of diversity, our interrelatedness, and shared values. Nowadays, elders are dying, knowledge keepers, and fluent speakers of native languages are fewer and fewer, making it incumbent upon us all to ask, what of the future? What will we regret or celebrate 100 years from now? What if indigenous languages and cultures are revived? What will return if they do? How will society at large change? Would the lands, waters, and all living relatives be the better for it? Prophecies augur this time where indigenous peoples and the youth will lead. The revitalization and continuance of indigenous languages and the cosmological views embedded in them are essential for the ancient future that looms on the horizon. Because there are few speakers of the Lakota language under the age of 30, Sage Fastdog answered his community's call to create a Lakota immersion school that will empower the youth and revitalize the Lakota way of life. 
He joins us now to share that journey of reclaiming this Sichangu education system and uplifting Lakota heritage. Welcome, Sage. We are so grateful to have you on the show today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here too. Appreciate the time that you're giving me to share about who we are and what we are, what we're doing. Mm. Is there a particular way you would like to open the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like to greet everybody in my in my mother tongue. And so, mm-hmm. Um, so I want to thank all of you. I send uh, um, with a good heart. I send my voice to all of you. Mm. And, um, I come from the mixed people, the mixed people, um, extended family. You know, our traditionally our people were divided into um, Tioshpai units. Our mm. Tioshpais, and then and that's how we we um, we camped in our Tioshpais, and mm. that was before reservation period. And, my name is Sage Fastug. I'm actually Wajaje. And uh, so the Wajaje joined the Sichangu band or the Sichangu people whenever we came to the reservation. So, and we both speak Lakota. So that's mm. an interesting fact. Is mm-hmm. Thank you so much for explaining that. You know, I wondered if you could explain about the the different bands of Lakota peoples. I mean, I, I think people, there's, I think for a lot of us, there may be some confusion. We heard the, we hear the term Sioux, we hear the term, you know, these different bands and people don't really know like Sichangu, Lakota, Oyate, like what it all, how it all relates. And and if you could just explain a little of that. Yeah. So I would say the Lakota people are, um, there's like seven I would say seven sub bands. Mm-hmm. The Lakota, so like the Sichangu is a sub band of the Titoan. So the Titoan are all the Lakota speakers. And so that would be one band of its own. Okay. And then then you have the Dakota, which the, 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 the Dakota is made up of four, four bands of its own. And then they have sub bands under there. So, mm-hmm. and then you would have your, um, and that would be, and then you have your other ones, which are the Nakota speakers, and those are two bands, and underneath them they have their own sub bands. Mm-hmm. But all together, they're called the seven, the seven um, council fires, which is the seven nations, which makes up the entire who we are as the Ocheti Shakomi people. Meaning we all share similar customs. Mm-hmm. Our, our art is influenced by the region that we live. Mm-hmm. Um, our languages we we understand because our language is similar, except for the dialect of the N dialect, the D dialect, and the L dialect. Mm-hmm. The Lakota speaking um, band are the Titwan people. Mm-hmm. They are the youngest of them. The oldest, the oldest of us is the Dakota Nation. The Dakota okay. speakers are the older ones, and then your Dakota, and then mm-hmm. historically. We would camp when we did come together. We would camp in a camp circle, where we would be in a position of the younger, the youngest one is so then, and then the Dakota people would be in position of the elder people, the eldest group in, the, in a camp circle. And at the door, at the door of the camp would be your Nakota groups, mm-hmm. which could be 
gatekeepers. So you know, it was very structured prior to um, reservation time. Mm -hmm. And is there a resurgence in that structuring now? You know, there's there's efforts to, you know, what what I talked about is what still in structure is that place. You know, we we know where we who we are, and uh, right now there's kind of this uh, between who's in the honor spot now. Is it the Lakota, the Dakota now? And so right. the, the Dakota say, "Well, you guys got so big, you kind of overruled us and oh. took that spot." And then the Lakota say, "No, within our." You know, within our value system or in our kinship laws, you know, we held on to them and you guys didn't. So we usurped and took that spot. So there's right. that conflict historically. But, you know, when we come together, there is still seven council fire meetings. Mm -hmm. And when they do come together, they do sit in the positions of um, of order. And right. those positions of order are are still practiced with family members. So mm -hmm. you still have your firstborn son, your secondborn son, mm. and they still have their roles within some of our families that have sustained that um, kinship um, by that kinship law or that kinship practice. So, just like you mentioned, you know, there we were, we were, we were affected by the colonization and detrimental federal policies that um, tried to, you know, take us away from. You know our traditional customs but fortunately we survived with some of our traditional traditional laws and customary so today we still we still uh, practice them um, you won't be able to see it largely as like we're all coming together because now we're we're no longer moving to region to region because of the the treaties yeah. that have separated us into um these small these small pieces of land <laughs> yeah could you tell us were you steeped in your language and your life ways from birth yourself or was that a reclaiming for yourself it was it was both you know it's both because you know i grew up in a time when it was probably 10 years the people that were 10 years older than me in my family is where the language stopped being passed on traditionally or naturally uh -huh. and so and, it, and so like this is with my grandmother being there you know like that that natural um, pass down then was started it, it was started there so uh -huh. it was parts of it where I was able to understand Lakota mm -hmm. way up till I started to hit kindergarten kindergarten was when I was really started to be fully immersed into the English immersion schools of America, mm -hmm. which is all English speaking and English content. Right. And so that, that's when I started to begin to really um, use English more formally to, to learn mm -hmm. to read and write. Mm -hmm. And then, but I was, I was fluent in English too when coming in there, but I was mm -hmm. also, so I was bilingual. I would right. say it's yeah. bilingual. Right. And then in my generation, then it was in my generation, it's the the passing on of it from my siblings to my cousins that were old as me. And then even up to like, like I said, maybe 10 years or nine years older than me, they mm -hmm. stopped, they stopped the natural process of passing the language down. I okay. didn't I didn't stop. I I started to pass it down to my children. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. I mean, we understand that there's this severance and there's, you know, being even in any kind of an English language school, and then you're kind of code switching in a way, right? When you have that other language. And so it's odd. I can only imagine, but what would you like listeners to understand about the Lakota people and their way of life? I would say that we're, you know, first, you know, we're still here. Um, we're not going away. We're going to sustain ourselves. And and that's what I would like those, you know, those that are listening, you know, that it is to know where you're at and know where you come from and, and then do something about it. Mm-hmm. Do something that makes sure you sustain who you are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, be very well aware of where, where, where you come from and, 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 and the, the surrounding of where you're at. So that you know how to do something, you know how to navigate to make sure you do something that's continuing your pathway. That's really what we are as Lakota. We're we're not in the past. We're very much present. And so that's 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 what I I try to live by to making sure that you know I'm Lakota, but I'm still gonna drive a car. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm still gonna go fishing. <laughs> yeah, got glasses on. <laughs> yeah, glasses on you know, so very, very contemporary. You have your cell phone. <laughs> yeah, I got my cell phone. So. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm still gonna carry on. I'm still gonna carry what I was. I was taught traditionally. Mm-hmm. I'm still gonna use those and and make sure that. I can and that my children can do those um, traditional customs and practices at mm-hmm. the same time. Try to live in today's world. Right. And, and being, yeah, just being able to sustain themselves without forgetting who they are. Mm. That's, that's, that's in our songs. You know, we have songs that we're saying that were passed on about that develop the human, the humans, our, our brains, our holistic wellness mm-hmm. uh, in, into, um, so that we're intellectual and we're able to make make good logical decisions in in sustaining our life like that that's Lakota but we don't you know we never were taught those or I would say you know to the listeners because I wasn't taught those things in schools in traditional um, k-12 American schools then I didn't have to then there was no validation that I was actually human you know <laughs> I was taught the the, the American history, the, the Constitution, oh. the article, you know, the independence, um, you know, that were in there. We were we were just merciless savages. So mm-hmm. as, a kid, as a kid being referenced to that and then looking for validation of like, I am I'm human just like you and just like my teachers who are all largely like non non Indian. And right. so trying to trying to make yourself like equivalent to a mainstream society or the dominant culture at the same time trying to prove that you weren't what was sometimes in books you weren't Mm -hmm. you weren't savage that you were actually smart and Mm -hmm. that you were actually biologically as humans we share more things alike than we do differences and it's about opportunities and it's about understanding the dynamics of our society what divides us and what gives us opportunities so you understand more about equity and how mm-hmm. that if one equity is allowed and you have more opportunity for kids to thrive academically, holistically, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they don't leave themselves behind. So like 
when you know that and you understand that that's what i mean by knowing where you come from and where you're at so that you know what to do right but, so that's oh, that's one thing you know like in, in sharing this space like with former students like the school that i have that i i founded and i was a a, a middle school teacher like that's yeah. how I grew up being a middle school teacher and then so the students i taught now are working with me and training them to be teachers mm-hmm. and some of them i've already um you know they went to their finished their undergraduate and their graduate course and so they're mm-hmm. they're taking on roles that are needed because mm-hmm. in order to change our our um social economic status we need to be able to be in control of some of those places too we need to be able to know how to run an excel sheet you know to do a balance <laughs> Was that school more of a public school system? I mean, was that in that model? Yeah. So, middle school? Yeah. So the, the middle school I worked at is a public school. It's the South Dakota public school model. And uh-huh. for like 60 years, you know, I've been I've I've been telling them, you know, like this model isn't working because we still have <laughs> high dropout rate. That dropout uh-huh. is affecting our um, our economy because it, you know, with with not having a high school um, equivalent education, you know, you're gonna, you tend, our the population, there's from the data says our right. population and the social welfare increases, incarceration, mm-hmm. incarceration is, is continued. Mm-hmm. And, and so a lot, and then just looking at the data of what's available, public data, mm-hmm. people in our penitentiary system are, are our tribal members, you right. know, the, and then people on social welfare are tribal members. Mm-hmm. So largely the businesses that are able to sustain here in our in our reservation is well, a grocery store. Well, because you get food stamps or you get EBT. So if you have a large body of people that have that, you're able to sustain a grocery mm-hmm. store. But the mm-hmm. grocery stores that we're, you know, we're actively trying to push is like make sure you have good quality produce there for us. Right. Really have right. a really have a good market for us. So that mm-hmm. we're not continuing to um perpetuate. Buy, yeah, like buy products that are bad for our health that and so that we we don't have a high um uh, so we can begin to combat like diabetes by having mm-hmm. good foods. But even mm-hmm. foods good foods are expensive. So if you yeah. have if you're born into the social you know the social economic class where you're living in poverty, if you're born into that, you're naturally gonna pick the cheaper foods rather than the foods that are gonna mm-hmm. take away from your pocket so that was deliberate we know you know you know you began with two questions you began the school with two questions which was how to revive revitalize the Lakota language and how the community want to teach the children so wondering what was revealed to you what did you learn in asking those questions so how to how to revitalize it, like how to sustain it for where it's at. Like, mm-hmm. like that was um first, like, how do we do that in a school? You know, like the many efforts in in, in working in public school, I tried, I tried to sustain a program from a K to a kind an elementary program and try to sustain a middle school program, try to understand like a K to 12 program. And uh-huh. realizing that um, not everybody carries your same vision. Not everybody wants to make sure that happens. Not everybody can create a 
like a, a, an operation plan to or a financial plan to make sure that you have the operations to do that. Mm -hmm. Even carry out an academic plan within a language, a language revitalization um, school yeah. or an effort. Like Not a small task. Not a small task. We know. Yeah. Um, uh, Sage, we're going to take a quick break here, and then we'll be right back to talk more about uh, the Lakota Immersion School um, that you founded. Okay. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. Stay connected by subscribing on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, to check out previous shows and guests, listen to extended episodes, and get connected with us on social media. Today, you're listening to Preserving the Language and Legacy of the Lakota with host Carrie Kim and guest Sage Fastdog, founder and director of Wakainsha Ki Tokaishi, a Lakota language immersion school. So Sage, Anna, now that we're back with you, I was wondering if you could talk about the foundation of the Sichangu education system. So the foundation of Sichangu education system was um, like we found that the school is very much part of trying to transform like our economy here. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is relevant. Like our our original teachers, um, their their um, their jobs were taken from them when schools were created, and we began sending our kids to an unnatural learning. You know, it would be considered unnatural learning because then you're going into an environment where it's it, it's measured and based off of. Uh, of a uh, of a system that you know that it's foreign and has and so it's right. not really it's not preparing our kids to be successful beyond it at, at, a, at a you know at a percentage where it's really impacting our our society. Right. We we know that because we in our economy was based on the buffalo, and mm. we, have, we have when when the buffalo were plenty when we were roaming we never depended on anybody for anything and right. buffalo was our everything so we knew that and then we also understood our regions like our bioregions to sustain our um, sustain our life and, be, and so we're we're good estimators in understanding like what fuel is available fuel is available what kind of resources are available in that region to sustain 300 people and how we had to live in that area and rotate out so like so the foundation of Sichangu education has to encompass where we came from. Mm -hmm. Thousands of years of understanding how this world works. You can't turn your back away from 10 years of recent research that somebody has finally discovered the new idea of something that we already yeah. understood. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. You have uh, the four pillars that you practice at the school. Could you speak a little about that and the importance of each? Yeah, for sure. Like one of the things for sure is um, <clears throat> I wanted to design a school that where the kids can learn learn math, all the all the different disciplines, math, science, social studies. But I wanted it to learn it in their language. Mm -hmm. and, I wanted to want to show people you can you can and you've, you where you where you did that where you did that and, and the Cherokee Nation already did that in America and, and so it's possible to rewrite and write in a written form so people can see what it looks like but we've already done that 
and we need to continue to do that. So I built it on four pillars of what helps us be successful. One is um, being fluent in your language, fluent in Lakota. The other one is being academically prepared so that if if your job depends on you to know to know all the different disciplines of academia, that you're prepared to do that for secondary education if you choose to go there or if right. you choose to go to the workforce, you're ready there. But one of the mm -hmm. things that helps us be helps us be prepared for secondary education and for career is to have holistic to be holistically well. You mm -hmm. have to articulate how you feel and and what what and who you are and where you're going. So uh, but you have to have a balance of understanding your health very well. Mm -hmm. and so being secure in your identity is our other pillar. And mm -hmm. so like the holistic wellness and the, and the securing identity, why I differentiate them is because we all come from different um, regions and those regions uh, help us identify. They kind of help us identify, give us our identity. So does mm -hmm. our language. So right. I, always give the, I always give the thing like a whale cannot live on the land and needs to live in the water. Right. And so there we are we are who we are and you have to recognize that we are we are different mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you know we're we're a special case of some sort it just means that let us be who we are mm -hmm. don't, don't discriminate against us let us be who we are i'm mm -hmm. going to be Lakota no matter where i go in this world i'm going to be Lakota right and i'm going to also learn about the different people from the different areas in the world and that is important for when our children leave or if mm -hmm. they're going in this world. So those are the four pillars that I I found that schools that that include these pillars and in, in have a better academic output. Mm -hmm. Well, could you speak about, you know, is it pretty common that people do leave? I mean, is the aim to also have it be more like when you talk about economy and and having it be that people can stay more rather than leave? Yeah, I mean, that's the trend, right? People get educated or then they leave because it's too small or they can't make a living or whatever is the reason that they then go into a city or somewhere else or move. When I say leave, like, I mean, if they're ready to go to college, they mm -hmm. can go, like, we're preparing to go there. But yeah. the idea is that. No matter what, like in our state, we're, we're always here. Like we don't we're migrating anywhere. Mm -hmm. like we want to stay on our we want to stay on our land that we have. We don't want we want to make sure that our kids somehow to like we're in the real world. Like we always been told, prepare preparing you for the real world. So when you leave the reservation, I was like, well, what if we don't want to leave a reservation? What uh -huh. if this land that we're on, we want to sustain and make sure it's taken care of. Mm -hmm. At least where we live, we know the water is going to be good. Right. Where we live, we know the animals that live here are going to sustain their life. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that um, our kids are able to make their community better. Right. They're in charge of doing that, not some some official that lives in a in a different part of the state or from a, in a different part of our country. We want to make sure that we're telling them our needs. And they're not telling us how to live. So we want to flip the script of like, we've always been in control of who we are and where we're going. So to continue to let us do that. We don't, right. we don't want somebody controlling what we do. So that's part of why this week, that is the foundation of this school too. Is from a kindergartner being able to 
make their choice, make choices on how they're going to learn something. Even though if you give them two choices of how to do things, they're still making their choice. And, uh-huh. and we continue to build that up all the way up to high school when they're ready to go to do an internship, like in mm-hmm. maybe in 11th grade, they're deciding like, oh, I want to go be a social worker. So I'm their senior, I'm going to send them out to do some social work and go work under and do internship with them. So it's more applied to what they're learning, whatever right. they need to learn in, in their ELA classes or even in their AP courses. Can they apply that knowledge in that to be successful there? What do they need to know? Like what are some what are some areas of holistic wellness that they need to learn? Because when they go into social work, they're going to hear a lot of our what we go through as humans. Mm-hmm. Are you prepared for that? How can you be how can you be in that place professionally? Or if you're going into like a you know, like welding or going into farming, you know, like agriculture, preparing right. you for that. Like do you understand like the mixture of chemicals, the balance of that, but also making sure that if if you're bringing agriculture to your to your region or land are you are you still practicing your own traditional customs or are you just going to wipe out a bunch of homes of ready mm-hmm. inhabitants so those are some of the those are you know things that are value for our for us mm-hmm. but there's also things that are really happening around us so you know there's there's farms there's there's ranges you know here Largely, lot we have a lot of cattle on our land, mm-hmm. but yet we're still our nutrition rate is still low. Like a lot of that cattle isn't coming to our plates. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's been coming to our plates. That's that we want to change that. Right, and then yeah. you have the Lakota buffalo, right, that are coming back. Yeah. So, um, like we we want, and even with the Lakota buffalo, we want to think. Um, we have a lease for 15 years and we want to so like here at this school we annually since we opened we went out and we harvested buffalo and we reintroduced it back into the daily our daily meals so mm-hmm. it changes like what the the palate of a, a, what child what the child intakes now mm-hmm. and so the the more naturally they intake what we have always intake right. then it become foreign to them then that relationship that we have with buffalo becomes becomes more so so now that we 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 have a, like a, a nutritional need for buffalo right. but we also need to make sure that they sustain their place on this original their land too this is their land so and then we also have to learn back our um well we used to live in conical homes mm-hmm. and we've lived like that for a long time on the plains area through the winters through the wind Mm-hmm. right now you know in thinking about like what are some things we could start to we can start to do so that as we manage the buffalo range because you know as they grow like what can we make can we make that that's that we don't always have to go to a different um you know a different large river for to provide us leather for like leather backpacks to leather jackets to things where we find that are that are utilitarian uses uh-huh. That um, you know, the the cattle has found is prominent here uh-huh. in, in the United States and South Dakota. You can go to the store and get leather gloves. Right. You can't get buffalo gloves. You can go to the store and buy a leather leather seats for your. You know, you can buy leather chairs. And, but we want to be able to do that. How can we do that with buffalo? Right. At the same time, trying to you know sustain our humane. You know, we don't want to just you know just slaughter a bunch of buffalo. Sure. 
Do you want to make sure that we're doing it in how we traditionally practice? Because then you went and look at the home. Your your furniture was made out of buffalo coverings. Right. Your clothing was made out of buffalo coverings. Mm-hmm. Your boxes and your suitcases were made out of buffalo hide. And your tools that you had were made out of buffalo, parts of the buffalo. And then your sacred, your sacred, um, and your, your sacred, um, um, parts of the buffalo then were used for your traditional, your traditional ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And then you had nutrition. Uh-huh. And so it was totally relevant. And that, that's why you didn't, you were, you're economically independent. You could make your own home, you could make your own clothing, and you had food. Mm-hmm. No mm-hmm. need to go to the store and buy something which you already can make on your own. Knowing that, and you have a 15-year timeline, what can you really get done to make sure that the Buffalo sustained their place with us? Mm-hmm. Well, we, do you think that, that will continue? Because isn't that the interest to actually increase the Buffalo herd over time? I mean, is that the vision? And then that is also supporting the school and the children and their learning and their reconnection to the culture. Yeah, so like next year we're we'll be more likely reaching the fifteen thousand fifteen thousand um or fifteen hundred mark for the herd growth. Mm-hmm. And, and making sure that in that time, like we've designed a uh, curriculum for like the understanding of the um the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. What does a healthy ecosystem look like on a prairie? Mm. So there's you know, there's that part of it that we're already doing like so we already do like our, you know, we do the buffalo harvest, which is another part of like sustaining our, you know, natural food. Mm-hmm. And then there's the ecosystem, like what lives with the buffalo when the buffalo is out there? What is the what is the well managed um, range look like compared mm-hmm. to unmanaged range? Yeah. Showing that from like you can, and I and I talk about those things because it's a real it's a reality. Subsidized leasing is a reality. You go to a nice range where it's overgrazed and there's nothing there. And then wow. you go to a range where it's well managed and there's still elements of medicines that are on that on that right. field that you can that you can gather when it's time to gather. And mm-hmm. that's what I teach kids. You cannot so my my thinking is how can you protect something if you don't know the difference between overgrazed and mm-hmm. well well managed? And I'm yeah. using well managed. I don't usually use those kind of words, but I'm just right. using understand, yeah. so people in our audience can understand like what I'm talking about. Like, mm. I, I really, you know, and the the buffalo are now being born into an, an environment where it's where it's squares square ranges uh, that they now live right. on. The uh-huh. We used to. So, how do we sustain ourselves in this time now like, together? Uh huh. Is there's there's also Lakota people that, you know, that are ranchers that raise cattle that will be saying, you know, they also want the ranges that where our buffalo are. Mm-hmm. So you know, we have to educate even them and we have to educate our our um, our people about like, well, how is it working out for us? And we can be just be real true. Like, how is that working out for us? Is it helping us really, mm-hmm. really take care of our health or is it only helping a certain percentage of us? Because you know, really, Maybe some of those cattle ranchers might shift though to buffalo instead. I mean, that that will naturally organically happen as more and more of them come back because it's all, like you said, it's all interconnected the school, the buffalo, the ways of life, everything is connected from the same source. 
yeah i i, I see like a, i seen like there's a couple ranchers that have done that and i think a lot of it too is this education yeah. the more people understand about the laws of the land they're going to be able to hold people accountable for making sure that that they're not um they're not um, practicing old for old forms of what why europe became chaos and why they left why they left europe to the united states that's the truth is is that it's about land and it's about arguing about who gets and owns the land and how to and how to take advantage of other people that don't understand land Mm -hmm. and so we have to be aware of that we just like i was talking about when we first started you have to understand where you come from where you're at so you can make the changes so Mm-hmm. Like really lifting those those ranchers that are introducing cattle into their ranges that they 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 either lease or that they they were allotted, like mm-hmm. partnering with them to saying, hey, we're going to do a buffalo prop, we're going to do a buffalo harvest. Or what are some ways how you're you're taking care of your herd, and then building those bridges so that as we're as we're expanding, we're we're including more of our our tribal members to be part of what we're, what we're trying to do as a as an ecosystem here at Sichangoko. Right. Big, big changes, right, on big scale. That's It's like the big scale changes. But I wanted to ask you, you know, how the school, how do you see that the school differs from a typical public school? Like if you could kind of take us through what happens at a, at the school on a, on a given day. So what separates us from a public school is that we listen to our community. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be blunt, you know, that you, you know, we're a community-based school. We're not. We're not just meeting a. We're not meeting like a, a federal mark or a state mark by saying, "Well, I'm going to visit with some community members and we met our mark and we're going to check the box saying that we met we met our um, our obligation with them and we're going to go back to what we have available to us. We're going to teach a curriculum that that um, we bought and we fill it mm-hmm. and we're going to teach it from there. Even right. if even if it doesn't even if the curriculum doesn't include the students we're teaching or the students we're serving, mm-hmm. we don't believe that. Right. We know that that doesn't work. Our mm-hmm. and actually teachers know that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. A, real, a, a teacher that understands teaching knows that they have to make connections to the students' background, meaning you have to learn and know your community. You cannot discriminate or be biased against the community. You have to understand where the students are coming from and mm-hmm. how you can convey that content to that student by understanding what they were born into. Understanding that it's important to take to pay attention to the social economic status of, of a child's, you know, what the, yeah. the demographics, the demographics, mm-hmm. and not to look at it from a detrimental or, or not to look at it from a point where you're looking down towards them before understanding like okay i'm gonna have to really switch up this lesson plan so that i can make sure i cover all the students mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than just i'm going to just teach this and then the other ones that don't get it they don't get it They're, right that behind so, right so in schools in schools you know the, their argument was like, "Well, be well. We have IEPs. We we do assessments to get kids on this." And then, uh, um, my my counter argument is, "Well, historically, IEPs have been people of color because you they're it's all correlated to the reading level." So my question is, if your English immersion schools 
are not understanding reading strategies, then let's be honest with that. Because mm -hmm. our kids shouldn't be on IEPs because their their reading level is. Let's literally look at how do we do how do we do schools. Mm -hmm. So, and that's make, making relationships with the community. That's really talking with the parents and coming coming from that perspective. That's who we are. It's trying to it's trying to fix what what originally belonged to us. So if the parents think history and culture of their people is important, then include it. Include mm -hmm. it in your lessons. Okay. And you can still teach, you can still teach science with it. If you're okay. teaching chemistry, you can teach about surface chemistry. I mean, from the different parts of they already know surface chemistry. If there's if the high school students are driving cars, they know to slow down on ice. <laughs> there's fog there's fog out, you know. Uh -huh. so there's, yeah. There's just different ways how you can do that, but it, our school is looking at like what do our what does our community want and really working with them to to try to say that your meeting with us is ongoing and we are going to make sure that we are making sure that you're included in our academic design because mm -hmm. we know that's what. A quick break again here, and then we'll be right back to talk a bit more about family-centered education in the Lakota Immersion School. Hey listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. Stay connected by subscribing on all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, to check out previous shows and guests, listen to extended episodes, and get connected with us on social media. Today you're listening to Preserving the Language and Legacy of the Lakota with host Carrie Kim and guest Sage Fastdog, founder and director of Wakainsha. Tokaishi, a Lakota language immersion school. So Sage, I wonder if you could talk about family-centered education. Maybe that's the same thing as you're talking about. We are deeply connected to the community and having the school and you answer to the community's needs. So what are the ways that you create the family-centered education and ensure that the learning continues uh, after the after the after school is over and the children are back at home family-centered learning is uh it's it's very related to like what community what community-based is mm -hmm. and it means to it means to invite parents in you know you have you get the opportunity in a public school if you bring your parents in during parent-teacher conference mm -hmm. but it's really looking at where the students are at Mm -hmm. uh, academically, you know, holistically too, as they develop it, as they're developing, you know, and sharing that with parents. Like, here's what we're going to be doing in, in math, but here's actually what we're doing with our social skills. Here are some things that we're working with, with and that I think you would help if you helped at home on mm -hmm. this and sharing that. And then by doing that, it has, it really increases if if that's our objective for the student output, right. then the activities that we do together and in sharing information, like as the parent and the teacher, right. um, and even as this as the school and as the as the community, then it will we begin to we begin to develop a common language on what we're really working together for, so that if if we're trying to increase students' awareness or knowledge on, on math facts, mm -hmm. that when we're sharing that with parents, you know, we're making sure that how we're delivering that, they, they have an understanding of, about it, even with 
um, with what they're giving us feedback on. Right. We're actively trying to figure out like how to do that, how to make sure that we're giving our parents resources. And the parents that engage in the parents that are engaging in that, that are doing the work with their kids, you know, it's you see it. You see the you see the 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 outputs, the desired outputs from both sides. So how are you integrating the mo modern context? So she, you have Tichangu education system and those foundations, but you are now integrating it in this modern context. And then there's also, you know, technology. Where does that all fit in? Yeah. So what we're doing is we're staying focused on our um, as Lakota as our medium instruction for language and anything we do, any type of new discipline we we um, introduce. So introducing science. I'll look at whatever concept it is, and then I'll figure out how we're going to introduce that in Lakota. Even with like, like our first graders, when they, when they learn to count by count up to 100, when okay. I shared with them, I was like, you guys are actually doing algebra. <laughs> they were like, what's algebra? And I was like, well, this, when you guys say, with Chemna Nupa, you're saying two tens, you're saying two times 10. <laughs> and then that's what they're thinking too. So you're already thinking that way. Mm -hmm. and indigenous people's languages when they do numerals they're already thinking algebraically mm -hmm. so you don't give validation to that right so, even educating them and showing them that showing them like models like that and showing parents that and and also sharing with them like you don't have to speak english to be successful you don't right. have to speak english to build a rocket ship you just have to understand how to put it together and understand what's going to happen. And then going back and retesting it, you really don't have to speak a specific language to do that. You just have to understand and be a good scientist or investigator of understanding what's happening, what caused it, and being investigating. Continually trying and learning from it and continually trying, thinking about it, and then applying it. So like Maslow's thinking and Bloom's taxonomy of um, how our brain works. You know, we were already doing that historically. And just because it was in the past doesn't mean it's old and we shouldn't do that. <laughs> we need to bring it back and say, well, that's actually how life is. You learn to be successful by understanding your mistakes and really figuring out how to be better with it. So any new technology that comes, we figure out how to do it by implementing it. So like... <laughs> One of the edu educators had mentioned that the Lakota language is verb based and that, you know, she was learning best because she was also increasing her fluency as a teacher, that it was easier to learn experientially. It was easier to learn in the context of just activities and life. Can you share about that? <clears throat> yeah, that's the, that's the natural way. <laughs> that's really the natural way. Um, there was this guy, he, and there was this uh, math expert that that uh, created this. Or, you know, he 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 did, designed a language course, and then he called it the silent method. And the silent method is actually really close to the natural way because you listen to fluent speakers speak, but it's mm -hmm. set in segments of how you would learn. Right. Like imagine, like like if my grandma just talked to me all day in Lakota about what to, about a particular topic. I'm probably not going to learn until she actually lets me try it. Mm -hmm. She's telling me to pick up a, a, a sack of potatoes and to put them on a counter. And okay. she just continues to go. And if she doesn't just stop and say, blow, eat you. Then I'm like, okay, 
well, which one? Dukde blow, you know, and then she points at it, and I'm gonna go over and grab it and say, eh, blow, eh? And then she was like, uh, ichu. Then I'm I'm learning from her, and that's how you learn at home. And it's the same way with like parents. And I think like your kids learn to talk English if that's if that's their their strong language by listening to what you did over and over. They naturally you gave them a space to make mistakes. And so then they started to learn the language and they started speaking. So it's the same way with Lakota. When they're learning, it has to be in a context. It can be so conventional where I'm going to put everything up on a wall and then you're going to learn the vocab and then you're going to, it can't be just comprehension based or like it can't be just regurgitating facts and memorization. You actually have to learn how to use the language. So you have to learn how to naturally um, conjugate verbs and you have to, but you have to learn it in a context of it is as where it's at. So then your brain is figuring it out and you're not just saying, oh, that's how it is. So I'm going to write it down so I can remember it for later. Where then it just builds up our short term memory bank and then pretty soon that gets too filled up and it gets thrown away. Mm-hmm. You actually have to actively learn the language so it goes to your long term memory, which mm-hmm. is a bigger base. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope that. You know, there's probably people that disagree with me, but that's actually how language learning works. Right. I mean, could you speak about the importance of memory and remembering just in general? Because I feel like our cultures now, today's uh, just like just modern culture is all designed on not remembering anything. We have the Internet. People do their searching. (laughs) You know, you really don't have to remember a lot at all. So that's critical. It's critical on a spiritual level, on a a level of being with community is this remembrance and ability to remember. Or we talk about oral history and intergenerational wisdom. And, you know, when was it that we had to, we couldn't remember anything anymore and everything we had to, like you say, write it down because otherwise you forget it. So could you speak about this importance of memory and how that with language and cultural legacy, how it's all intertwined? Yeah, it's like, so I, I speak of like languages to really master something, you got to have 10,000 hours, right? Mm-hmm. You really master something, you really figure it out. You just go through process and we, all, we sometimes, it, you're, you're right in the in modern context, you know, we put a lot of things into the devices or notes to try to remember later. And then mm-hmm. sometimes we don't even pick up those things to check because they're not relevant. And then, and then, Sometimes we go through it and then we go through it and we realize that if things are really important to us and we need to know them, that's when we actually start learning mm. so that it becomes part of our muscle memory. Nobody wants to jump in a car and pull out a manual and figure out how to drive to somewhere. You know, you're going to learn how to drive over there and you're going to learn to actually, when you, you're calculating the turn so that when you go, you're not and then going like this, but you're, you gradually learn that process, and, and that's what language learning is. Is you is when you're learning it, you don't want to be pulling out your notebook or going back over it. But you got to start speaking, making the mistakes, and then you got that part of your brain of like paying attention to how I'm changing is the same thing as paying attention to when cars are coming, just determining when it's safe to turn and what angle I got to turn to make it into that route. There is the same way as when you're learning the language of how can I use this. When am I listening? And then when do I make the change of a language? Like mm-hmm. that's very much part of like how the brain works. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say like that it's good to have a good base for like 
for remembering vocab words, but it's also better to make sure you're actively, your brain's actively learning how to use the vocab words in context is over and over so that there's multiple opportunities to use those words to be able to contextualize the language or contextualize the word. So that way it becomes a useful part of it. Yeah, I think there's the people will discover a lot of heartbreaking, heartbreaking stories from their own traditions or people who were also similarly repressed in different ways, but it's just long forgotten. It's, you know, it's just buried so deep. Uh, you know, when we talk about the Irish or different, you know, there's so many people were colonized, missionized uh, all across the globe. But, you know, you said we cannot change the past. You said that as Lakota people, we're very much in the present. But at the same time, you know, what uplifts you out of all that heartbreaking tragedy? I mean, of course, you can't just, just the history is so dark, so long, so sordid. You know, how do you deal with that? And how do the children deal with that? Because it's a hard thing to remember. It's actively, um, it's actively, it, it, it's what we always, it's what we do as humans. We we know where we come from. We know where we're at. So you, you think of a strategy, you think of a plan to do, and you strategize that. So here at Sichanga Co, we have a 175-year plan. Of where mm-hmm. we go, and mm-hmm. so and now we're in implementation mode. We're not going to sit around and talk more about it. We're just starting to implement it. So we're in our fourth year of the school. We have thirty-two kids. We mm-hmm. sustained the original. We sustained eight of the original um, kindergarten students. Mm-hmm. They're speaking Lakota. They know their math. They know their they know their language arts in Lakota, and they're enjoying science. They're doing art. We're doing it, and mm-hmm. that's what we always. We're, we always that's who we are we're we're industrious we're we're we're, we're thinkers we're logical plan, planners and we're going to continue that process and i hope other people do that too to sustain who they are and help others understand you know help us out though you know we're, we know where we come from Sage, thank you so much for just responding to the call of the community and recognizing the importance of preserving the language for future generations and just the cultural legacy and life waves of the Lakota. We know that the language is key to everything, and that's also why they tried to destroy it, because mm-hmm. that is the foundation, right, of, of, of life and our understanding of life. And so thank you so much and more power to the school and the school continuing to grow and expand and uh, becoming you know all the way up to whatever k through 12 or beyond you know who knows yeah. what's possible as as more and more language more more and more language learners become fluent yeah for sure yep we you're, you're absolutely right i'm not even stopping at elementary we're going to keep going <laughs> yes 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 thank you so much. yeah, yeah. We would like to see that, actually. You know, I would definitely like to see that yeah. uh, all over the globe. Just the the reclaiming of our our ancestors and and our ancestors' tongues. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we could you share, um, Sage, some of the links that for people to understand more what's happening, or I don't know if people can also make contributions to the school, and if you could share more about how they can be in touch with with you and the school. Yeah. Yeah, I would just go to Sichanguko. Sichanguko, it'll show you like our entire ecosystem of um, Sichanguko is our um, is our economic um, economic arm of our tribe, Rosebud Sioux tribe. If you want to contribute to our school, you know you can donate on there, and uh, it'll, 
it, and you click on the links, it, it tells you where to donate, and then it, it's a very friendly. If it's not friendly, please leave a comment, and we'll switch it up so that it's <laughs> possible for you. <laughs> yes, listeners, definitely check out Sichangu Ko's um, website. There's many things going on there. We also talked about the Wolakota Buffalo Range, and we have a, a prior show with Lizzie Pine Little Elk on that as well. But see what's happening and and be part of the resurgence Um of the Lakota culture and the preservation. I think we all owe a part. If you live here now, definitely. Yes. Thank you, Sage, so much. Thank really you. Appreciate. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'll see you guys all again sometime. Mm. Hey, listeners, to check out the extended recording of this show or to explore our other shows, visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, and subscribe to our podcast. This has been Ecojustice Radio and our show, Preserving the Language and Legacy of the Lakota. Thank you to our guests, Sage Fastdog, and thank you always to our listeners. Please connect with us on social media at Ecojustice Radio, SoCal 350, and Adventures in Waste. If you like what you've heard and you want others to be informed, subscribe and share the episodes. been listening to eco justice radio a project of socal 350 executive producer myself jack eit producer and co-host jessica aldridge co-host carrie kim and engineer and original music by blake quake beats and until next time remember the power is yours